Hi, I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And this is Books and Bagels. Before we get into our main book for this week, let's go over some of this week's reads. So this week I read the book Eliza and Her Monsters, and it's pretty much about a book about this girl who anonymously writes this webcomic that's one of the most famous webcomics on the interwebs. And uh, it does really well. She makes a ton of money off of it, and she's been doing it for a bunch of years, but she's anonymous. And uh, pretty much she meets this person at school who doesn't realize that she's the person who writes the webcomic, who's a mega fan of it. And he's transcribing the comic into sort of like book novel format and pretty much how the, like being so kept up online changes her life and affects her day to day um adventures I guess uh, is what you would call them and I thought that it was pretty good I got kind of bored at the beginning but once they started getting into more like relevant content I guess um it got really good and it felt pretty relevant especially uh being online a lot now because we're teenagers in isolation so uh I gave it a 4.45 out of 5 so yeah it was pretty good I liked it you should read it this week, I read Parachutes by Kelly Yang, which is about a Chinese girl named Claire who lives with a family in California in order to go to a California private school. Um, this book kind of generally tackles sexual assault, xenophobia, and poverty in a way that I thought was really, really well done, felt very genuine. And in the author's kind of note, she talks about how um, one of the characters, Danny, who's Claire's like host sister, I suppose it's called, um, like her life experience related very closely to Danny's. Um, that being said, there were some extraordinarily odd moments. Um, overall, I thought it was a very interesting read. It definitely um, opened up my mind a little bit more um, and talked about debate, which I really love. Um, and definitely topical in an era of Me Too. Um, so I would give it a 4.7 out of five. This week, we are covering the Shadow and Bone series by, if you couldn't tell, our favorite, uh, Ms. Lee Bardugo. This series takes place before Six of Crows uh, in the same universe and is about Alina Starkov, a Ravkin soldier who suddenly unleashes very powerful Grisha magic in the middle of a war. The series turns into Alina's mission to take down the Darkling, the powerful Grisha who has unleashed darkness all across Ravka. And so now we're going to give you briefings on the characters. Okay, so first we have the previously mentioned Alina Starkov, and she has the ultra rare Grisha power of harnessing light. And she doesn't discover that until well into her teens. Uh, I believe she was 17 during the book um, because it's a YA book and like everyone is 17 during a YA book. Why are um, girls and songs always 17? Okay, continue. Anyway, uh, but she grew up with Mal, who we'll introduce in a bit. Um, and she is pretty much the only person who can sort of stop the Darkwing's power because if you couldn't tell by his name, 
he controls the dark and she controls the light. And so she essentially needs to sort of close the shadow fold and in order to save Ravka. And so now we're gonna talk about the Darkling and he is a bad guy. Um, he sort of made himself reborn to the public uh, over and over again so that they don't realize that he's like 400 years old. They think that one man has been uh, sort of a succession of divinely given people, I guess, uh, who control the dark. But in reality, it's just the Darkling and yeah. And then next we have Mal and Mal, as I mentioned, grew up with Helena. And so spoilers for the series, but I mean, this is the podcast on the series. So you're gonna get spoilers if you don't shut off now. So shut off now. Um, but he is the third and final amplifier that Alina needs to sort of save Ravka. Um, and her, him and Alina end up together um, at the end of the book. Okay. Next we have Nikolai, the Prince of Ravka, who is a former pirate. Very cool. Uh, he becomes the king after his brother and father are murdered by the Darkling. Uh, and he's in love with Alina. He makes multiple advances, even proposing to her at one point. Um, but she has made it very clear. She doesn't like him back. She just wants them to be friends. But like any man, he can't take no for an answer. Uh, then there's Genya, um, Alina's bestie, who's very posh. She would easily fit into the world of Jill Newman in They Wish They Were Us, except for the fact that she's not American, doesn't live in New York, and doesn't go to private school. But whatever. Her power is a tailor, so basically she can change people's appearances, which is very similar to the power of Nina in Sex of Crows. Um, and she takes great pride in her appearance, great pride in making other people look beautiful, which is kind of ruined when the Darkling tortures her and uses these like weird minions to like claw up her face. And lastly, we have Zoya who's an absolute icon. She's a squalor, so she can control the wind, which is very cool. And she low-key hooks up with Malad Lunch. She just kind of like wants to make Alina jealous because she's like, she used to be the most powerful and then Alina came in and blah, blah, blah. Typical storyline. Um, but she is extraordinarily, extraordinarily cool. And she gets even cooler in the sequel to this series, um, King of Scars, which we won't spoil because Sydney hasn't read it yet. But let's just say we're, I'm, I'm an official member of the Zoya Stan Association. Is uh, some of our favorite parts of the story, or in this case, the series. Um, well, the first, obviously, being the violence. Very exciting, very, um, I just realized this isn't a video podcast to so my various gestures will not carry over, but I, for reference, Sam just went swoosh swoosh in sort of a knife motion. Um, Indeed. So <laughs> imagine, use, you, use your imagination, uh, you know, build a photo in your mind. Swoosh mm -hmm. swoosh, you know? What? Um, so the violence is very exciting. And it's not like violence like gore, although there is some kind of gore. It's a little more like spooky. Um, the like war planning and like everybody getting hyped up and getting like doing shots and things before they like go out and like go to war and be like all right guys like I love you like if you die like I'll throw you a nice funeral like that's ob I'm obviously paraphrasing there but like that kind of energy is just so fun to read because you feel like connected to everyone 
which is what Lee Bardugo is very good at. She's good at taking people and turning them into real life. Like, I feel like I was communicating with the characters. I could see them. And that was very nice. On the topic of how um, it was more like planned violence, I guess. I really like books with a lot of war planning. And a lot of people didn't like this part of the second book in the series. It's a trilogy. A lot of people didn't like the this part of the second book. But I really liked how tactic-based and how uh, discussion-based a lot of scenes were. Because I find it really interesting how people like sort of plan battles and plan how they're going to try and achieve victory. Um, maybe that's like the military geek in me, but you know, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I find that really interesting. And I was really happy that we dedicated nearly a whole book to that because a lot of the plot in Seijin's room was war planning for the third book. Um, and I think that that was a good bridge. I don't know. I feel like if she had rushed the planning, then I would have been like, hey, I missed that. Excuse me, can we go back? How did we get from here to here? Like, I need a little map, okay, honey? You know? Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I thought that Unpopular Opinion, Siege and Storm was actually the best book of the series. Really? I, I mean, I'm going to need to disagree with you there, because once again, I stand by my moral philosophy that second books and trilogies are not remember worthy memorable memorable thank you it was not like not very memorable i don't remember the plot other than nikolai's introduced and i'm like hmm. um but other than that i was like um and kind of i don't know i like that like yeah like the military stuff it was also not like I don't know how to say this. Like, Alina didn't start a war. There was already a war going on. There's mm -hmm. a war going on out there, so. And Andre isn't here. Somebody who listens to this podcast really enjoys. Um, uh, great comment. And I just made a great comment reference, so shout out to you. Um, and she is like participating in the war as a soldier and it's because of like poor government decisions, which, you know, and um, like her powers kind of exacerbate the war. And it's not just like this girl, like did a thing at this one place where there was zero conflict and all of a sudden all of this conflict started because of her. Like that's stupid. That's poor, poor plotting on the author's part. But once again, Lee Bardugo, she's on another league, another league and she, knows how to like get people invested before you even knew that Alina was like, you know, a witch or whatever. Um, a Grisha? A Grisha. Before you even knew that Alina was, was a Grisha, um, you were kind of like aware of the world and its mechanisms. Um, but yeah, I thought that that was very smart that like Alina's role in the war was not like cheesy. Mm -hmm. That makes any sense. Like, she wasn't like, oh, guys, like, we're going to fight. We're going to win. And then, like. She wasn't like Katniss Everdeen. Yeah. Who has, like, two fighting scenes and then, like, somehow, like, blacks out during, like, gets hit in the head or something during, like, every fighting scene and, like, wakes up after. Like, Alina was doing the work. Homegirl was out there with her people fighting. She was saving lives, doing things. Sydney's doing Doctor Strange-like gestures. Yeah, to 
because night yes exactly um and that was cool i think also little feminist easter egg she knows how to write complex female characters yeah alina had a personality So now we're going to talk about the Alina Mal relationship thing. And so I have maybe a hot take, especially since um, Sam in our little notes for the podcast wrote Mal you. Um, I'm going to say that Mal was actually the best person for Alina to end up with um, just because it was kind of either Mal or the Darkling and the Darkling while he's a like great villain, he's a villain and he's 400 years old. So I think that especially because Lee put Alina in this really awkward place where you knew that it's a YA novel, Alina's going to end up choosing one of them. Um, and I think that if she had to choose one of them, Mal is by far uh, a much better choice. And so while I don't think that they're like the best relationship ever. Like there, there are no Kaz and Inez, you know. Um, like there's still both like, rooted in simultaneous trauma. Yes, but you know what I mean. You get my point here. Um, while there are no like Kaz and Inez, they're still much better than Alina and the Darkling would have been because that that would have been a hot mess, man. Like, <laughs> okay, I agree with you. I think. I think that, like, the Darkling, although, like, they had some, like, moments, I was like, he's manipulating you. And another example of how men in power like to manipulate young women who are new to said occupation, another feminist Easter egg. Um, And I thought that, like, their relationship was creepy, and I'm glad that she didn't end up with him. And, like, like, she kind of realized that he was a bad dude pretty early. Well, three quarters of the way through the first book. But Mal was so annoying. He was so dependent on her. He was like, I can't do anything without you. And when she was like, I need to like run a country and make sure like my people survive and we aren't ruled over by a dark overlord who wants to envelop the country in darkness. He was like, how could you break up with me? I'm going to go hook up with this girl who like hates you just to make you jealous. Like that is weird. That is fundamentally weird. And then she goes back to him and he turns out like to be the, her last amplifier and like a, like a necessity to her power. Like, no, she was doing fine on her own. She didn't need to end up with Mal. In fact, Mal should have died. He should have died. He should have died. Alina should have been like doing things on her own. Yeah, I think that if I were to give this book an alternative ending, it would be Mal, Alina end up together, find out Mal's amplifier. Then Mal says, adios, I gotta go die now. And then he kicks the bucket, you know? Like and then Alina's like free to do whatever she wants. Exactly. Like homegirl could have lived on a farm with some sheep in a post-Civil War Ravka watching this guy that she turned down be a terrible king. Like that sounds like the dream, okay? But no, she has to do all of that but live with this guy who's like so dependent on her and so whiny and literally can't do anything right when he's like by himself. 
So I don't know. I was annoyed with Mal. I think that he brought her down overall as a character. That being said though, Alina did manage to evolve as a character and I appreciated that because so often it's just like she's very courageous in the beginning and in the end she's even more courageous and I'm like Alina got tougher and she learned how to like embrace her emotions and be like listen I am powerful but I'm also a human being and like I deserve to be happy and I deserve and I can use that happiness and like the people that I love in order to like amplify my power. That sounded manipulative, but like, I guess what I'm trying to say is like, she could use, she could be powerful and emotional at the same time. And the Darklings whole thing was like, keep your emotions inside. And I suppose that's easy when you're 400 years old, but like other people can't do that. And I'm proud of her for being like, no. Um, and I guess the last thing that we loved was the Darkling because let's face it, no fantasy book is complete without a super whack villain. So when you start the book, you don't really realize that the Darkling is supposed to be the villain, I guess. Um, I, at least maybe it was predictable for some people, but it wasn't for me. And um, especially you don't realize that he's the villain that's sort of been there all along and I previously mentioned that the Darkling when we were introducing him I previously mentioned that he is the same guy who just sort of rebranded himself every 60 or so years to make it seem like he wasn't in fact the same guy to keep the general public unsuspicious of how much power he actually held because this dude holds a lot of power I mean if you are powerful enough to keep yourself alive for 400 years you're pretty good at what you do and so it was pretty much just, you know, randomly sprung up in, uh, well, not randomly, but you know what I mean? Like it was plot twisted up that uh, the Darkling was in fact the same person as, you know, the Darkling's great, 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 great grandfather. You know, you know what I mean? I thought it was kind of cool that like she didn't introduce him to be the villain until like the end of the first book. And although you kind of get the vibes where you're like, this dude is weird, period. Like, um, you don't really know that he's like the same guy who basically plunged Ravka into total anarchy because he was like, power. Um, and that was a cool discovery provided by his mother who reminds me of the Israeli Hebrew teachers I had when I was younger. Um, just- Well, you're not wrong very intense ladies honestly where would we be without them though um probably in, dead in a hole somewhere indeed indeed or dead in the middle of dundee road just lying there um, and um yeah so i thought that was really well executed and his kind of arc is continuing you know it'll be interesting it is interesting to me how she laid everything out because in the end you don't really know if he's dead or not yeah. like you know that he's dead but still there's like mm, that was a little too easy so it'll be interesting to see if in a later series which I hope she writes she brings him back I really like how uh Alina and the Darkling are character foils and like that's not just shown in the fact that one is darkness and one is light but it's also shown in sort of how their character character arcs happened in 
I guess, opposition of each other. And as Alina was sort of growing as this hero, um, the dark that's when the Darkling first gets revealed as like the villain and the anti-hero. And um I really liked how they sort of developed in almost, I guess you can't see what I'm doing, but they developed in almost like a this sort of fashion, like two sides of a circle almost. Um and I really thought that was cool how she made because arcs are like half circles, right? And so they develop side by side, you know? Um, and I really like that. Um, and so lastly, because the show is coming out on April 23rd, we figured we kind of talk about what we hope to see from it, what we don't hope to see from it, and you know, what Shadow and Bone on Netflix will look like. Yeah, so first I'm I'm just gonna put this out there that I'm kind of worried for the show because the timeline to me feels very confusing um with the fact that they're bringing together characters from Six of Crows and Shadow and Bone which are set I believe six years apart and I think they're gonna try to have the storylines happen side by side and so I'm kind of worried for what how they're gonna clarify the the timing is it gonna be in a sort of I guess Little Women fashion, Little Women 2019 fashion almost, where it's flashbacks. Are they changing when the events of one of the books happens to make it line up with the events of a previous book? Uh, what? I, I don't, I'm, I mean, I'm open to what's going to happen. I'm kind of excited to see what they, what their take on this is, but I'm also worried. Yeah, me too. Um, especially because like there are parts of Six of Crows that like wouldn't exist if the war hadn't taken place the way it did, like Nina would not have ended, Nina and Mateus would not have ended up in the positions they were in at the beginning of Six of Crows had the war not taken place. Yeah. So it could be interesting if they do like parallel timelines and eventually reveal that they had like connections and things, but I don't know. Um, but also the weird thing to me is the guy, Ben Barnes, does not play the Darkling. He plays like general something something who doesn't exist in the books so and he also looks a lot older than the actress who plays Alina so I'm wondering if they're kind of cutting out that romance part maybe changing it a little bit because honestly it will be super gross if they try to push down this whole like and also I think that because this is made for tv and it's not uh, a book and with tv unless it's obviously a cartoon but it's not um, there are real people and real actors who would have to like act out this romance arc, um, especially with the age difference between the actual actors. I feel like critics wouldn't wouldn't love that, and it'd also be really weird to watch. And I feel like that might bring reviews down. And it's TV, so it's all about reviews, you know. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Lastly, like Nikolai is not going to be in the first season, which is strange. First of all, I hope that it is good enough for them to renew it because I would like to see who they choose to play Nikolai because I have some thoughts. But also, it, that just like doesn't make sense with the timeline they're trying to push. And if they cut him out as a character altogether, I'll be so angry. And yeah. It wouldn't I, make sense to cut him out as a character altogether though because he's important, you know? A lot of what's happening is very up in the air, I guess. And even as someone who's read the books, I think it's kind of an unpredictable show 
like what what kind of what are, what are they gonna do you know yeah yeah should be interesting so lastly as always we like to do a song a bagel and a star review so i'll go first my song is wolf at your door by chloe and hallie which by the way was made for the game of thrones like final playlist type thing i don't really know it's very good very spooky very like wintry vibes also because alina just gives me like aria sansa vibes i chose this because like you know a strong powerful woman who can fight who doesn't take anything from people she doesn't need to like homegirls got it um so yeah that's what i would choose and then my bagel i was informed well a google search informed me that russian bagels exist so i would give this book a russian pumpernickel bagel because i feel like it's kind of not only dark in color, but a little like thick in taste. And this book, there's just so much to love about it. Um, so yeah, and also Ra uh, Russian, because Ravka is based off of Russia, um, or at least in like language and culture. Um, and so, you know, gotta love the Russians. And then lastly, we gotta give this series a 4.8 out of five. Because, you know, the only thing I would cut out, as previously mentioned, is Mal. He should have died. I will die on this hill. Um, and I'll pass it over to you, Sydney. Okay, so for my song, I'm giving it Guns and Ships from Hamilton. Because, as I mentioned, my favorite part of it is the war planning. And that's, like, the most war planning song I could think of. Um, so, yeah, guns and ships. And so the battleships. Yeah, you know, we got to do that. And then for my bagel i'm gonna be kind of untraditional i'm gonna give this bagel i'm gonna give this book bagel chips okay specifically rye bagel chips okay and i don't know why it just feels more like a bagel chip than a real bagel to me it's just it's the feeling i get from this book and the feeling i get from bagel chips they match okay they match and that is my sound logic of giving this book bagel chips. Um, and finally, I would give this book a, I'd give it like a 4.8, or this series, uh, 4.8 out of five stars. Same as Sam, because I'm copying Sam. But at the same time, it's that that's a very good description. And it is good, it's a solid 4.8 out of five, you know? Books and bagels in the morning. As always, if you have any author recommendations, book recommendations, or anything related to books and or bagels that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email us at bagelsandbookspodcast at gmail.com. 